If you've lost your place in John chapter 10, I invite you to recover it. Perhaps you're familiar with the episode in Jesus' life where He invited three of His closer associates, Peter, James, and John, to accompany Him on a trek up a mountain. We have come to know that mountain as the Mount of Transfiguration. And in the moment that Jesus reached the peak of that mountain, all of a sudden, He began to dazzle. In fact, it was said that His garments were more laundry white than any launderer on earth could make them. And in addition to that, there were two visitors, Moses and Elijah, and they had fellowship with each other, the five or six of them with Jesus. And then the Father said, these are memorable words, He said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Listen to Him. Jesus in Luke chapter 10 indicates that the one thing which cannot be taken away from us is what we hear Him say to us. Listening to Jesus is the most important thing a person can ever do. And in His divine grace and wisdom, He chooses to speak to us. The question is how? Scholars of the New Testament, particularly those who specialize in the Gospels, which contain most of the words that are recorded in the Bible by Jesus, are agreed that in these documents of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we have what they have described as the Ipsissima Verba, which translated means the very words of Jesus Christ. If you're wondering how you can hear the voice of Jesus, you have to go no further than the words that are recorded in the New Testament which came from His lips. And God invites us this morning, as David mentioned, these words with a few exceptions of narration by the Gospel writer. These are the words of Jesus. And we're here to listen to what He has to say. He takes on two basic subjects. The first of which is, we hear His words concerning Himself. And that's very important, foundational to the second emphasis. The second emphasis is, we hear His words concerning His sheep. So let's begin to explore this whole matter of the words of Jesus regarding Himself in this passage of Scripture. Let's look at verse 7. We're going to look at every verse in the passage, but not in consecutive order. Look at verse 7. Jesus therefore said to them again, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. I hope you remember that whenever Jesus introduces a statement about Himself with the words, I am, He is identifying Himself for His hearers as God. Because this is the way in which God revealed Himself to Moses in the burning bush when Moses asked him to give him his identity. And he said, tell those who inquire about what mission I'm sending you on and they want to know who sent you, tell them that I am sent you. Jesus is saying in this particular statement, when he says, I am the door, once more he is speaking of his identity as God. He is the door of the sheep, he describes here. Look at verse 9. 
He repeats himself, I am the door. The door is a symbol, a picture, a figure of speech, which indicates that it's through Jesus that a person must go in order to know God. Jesus says this differently with the same emphasis in the 14th chapter of John, where he says, I am the way. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is the only way. Jesus doesn't say, I am a door. He says, I am the door. In the book of Ephesians, chapter 2, verse 18, Paul writes these words which echo what Jesus is saying here. He says, through Jesus we have access to the Father. So it's through Christ that we are to go. He is the door in order to be related to God. When Philip was inquiring of Jesus and asked Him, Lord, show us the Father and it is enough for us. And then Jesus, showing a little annoyance, said, Have I been so long with you, Philip, and yet you do not know who I am? He who has seen me has seen the Father. So Jesus is the way to the Father. And it's in Christ that we see who the Father is. So Jesus speaks here concerning Himself as being the door through which people come to know God. Look at the second part of verse 10 as He elaborates a little further on this matter of His being the door. He says, I came that they, and when he speaks of they, he's speaking about sheep. I came that they might have life and might have it abundantly. He chooses the word that does not have to do with biological life. Rather, he speaks of that word which speaks of the life that is inherent in God and that Jesus himself personifies. Here again, Jesus uses this formula in the book of John chapter 11. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. And Jesus Christ gives that life to us. It's a life that is not temporary. It is indeed an abundant life, but it is eternal life. When He says that this life is given in abundance, He chooses a mathematical word. And the word was always used to describe something which indicated more than enough. The life which Jesus gives to us in Himself and by His Spirit is a life that's more than enough for us. It's incredible. Jesus says about Himself in this section that He is the door. But He goes on to say that He is the Good Shepherd. Look at verse 11. He says, I am the Good Shepherd. Jesus had two words at His disposal to describe Himself. And the word which He chooses literally means something which evokes a real pleasure related to the object which represents good. It's something that is beautiful. And Jesus is the shepherd who is definitely ethically good. There is no sin in Him, but there's an aspect of Him which draws us to Him. When we begin to hear His voice, we begin to get a clearer picture of who He is. We are almost magnetized to Him. We are drawn to Him. He is the Good Shepherd 
And he makes this great statement about himself. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. This is echoed later by Jesus in the Gospel of John where he says, Greater love has no man than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. And then the Apostle writes in the book of 1 John chapter 3, We know love by this, that he, speaking of Jesus, lay down his life for us. Can you imagine? Do you know that the value of something which you or I might purchase, or that might be purchased by anybody, the value of that something is what the one who buys it is willing to pay for it. Now think about you as a sheep of Christ. If you are a sheep of Christ, if you know Jesus, He bought you. God the Father bought you. And what did it cost Him to buy us? It cost Him the blood of His Son, Jesus Christ. It cost Jesus His life and the Father His Son. It's amazing. That's how much you are valued by God the Father if you are one of His children. Another thing which Jesus says as a result of His laying down His life for the Father, look at what He says about this in John chapter 10, verse 17. He says, For this reason... The Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it again. It's amazing that the Father's love, if it could in any way be increased, would have been increased by Jesus doing this. And there's a good purpose behind that. If we were to go back in John to John chapter 6, we would read verse 37, and it reads this way. I have come down from above not to do my will, but the will of Him who sent me. Jesus was not an independent operator. He's God, but it was decided in the council of heaven between God the Father and Jesus the Son that Jesus would not stop being God. It was impossible for Him prior to His coming to be a human being. It was impossible for Him to stop being God. But what was decided was that Jesus would choose to submit Himself fully to the authority of the Father, just like God intended for every human being to be submitted to Him from the get-go. And sin into the world through Adam, of course, and every human being since then, with the exception of Jesus, every one of us has rebelled against God. We have refused to be submitted to Him. It's what the Bible calls sin. But Jesus chose to be one who was committed to, to submit himself to the Father in that situation. And in that, he was obedient to the Lord. Let's read a little further in verse 18. No one has taken my life away from me, is what he's saying, but I, and he emphasizes the word I in his speech. We can't see it in English, but what we do know is he did not want anyone who heard him or anyone like us who would read this statement to be mistaken. I'm the one who opted to lay down my life on my own initiative. God the Father didn't twist the arms of Jesus to do what He did by laying down His life for us. He says in verse 18, I have authority to lay it down, 
and I have authority to take it up again. This commandment I received from my Father. So Jesus took the initiative, but the authority for Him to do that was given to Him by God the Father. Jesus lived an obedient life. This commandment He said, I received from my Father, and I am fulfilling that commandment when I go to the cross to pay for the sins of mankind. That will be the case of fulfillment. Well, here's something else we would easily miss if we did not have the help of the Apostle Paul. In the second chapter, which is the great Christological chapter, which simply means it spells out the person of Christ in a very remarkable way. It identifies who Jesus is. And then it shows how Jesus did indeed submit Himself and what the outcome was. In that second chapter, the Bible says, you should have the attitude that is in Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. But He made Himself nothing. He took on human flesh, and He took on the role of a slave. A slave, mind you. And He became obedient to death. Now, who told Jesus that it was His mission and His will to die? The Father gave Him that mission. And so, He became obedient even to death and death on a cross. Therefore, listen carefully, God the Father gave Him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord in heaven and on earth and under the earth, every creature, that He is Lord. And the result of that is what the Lord gave Jesus as a name is Jesus is Lord, the greatest name that could be given to Him. And God was glorified in that. Do you know the purpose for our being here on this earth? It's a simple purpose. It's to glorify the Lord. In Isaiah 43, 7, that's what the Bible says. God speaks. He says, I've created you for my glory. Jesus did that. There's nothing that satisfied the Father more. He loves us immensely. And because of that, when Jesus fulfilled His mission by laying His life down for us to show how much He loves for us, loves how much love He has for us, it pleased the Father infinitely because of the Lord's obedience. And the Father loved Him. That's what the Scripture says. As a result of His fulfilling His duty as a good shepherd, He laid down His life for the sheep. Here's another thing in addition to the fact that Jesus laid down His life. Look at verse 14 and 15. He says, I am the good shepherd. He repeats Himself. And I know my own. He's talking about His sheep. And my own know Me. Even as the Father knows Me, and I know the Father, and I lay down My life for the sheep. Jesus knows His own. He lives in intimacy with us. And the same way that He and the Father share a relationship of intimacy. It simply means He loves us. 
when you follow the way in which the word translated no is used in the New Testament, you cannot conclude anything otherwise. It's a picture of the love that Jesus has for us. He knows us. He loves us. And He knows and loves us individually too. Now here's the third thing Jesus says when He speaks of Himself as being the Good Shepherd. If you will look now at verse 16. He says, And I have other sheep which are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they shall hear My voice, and they shall become one flock with one shepherd. Do you have an idea who Jesus is speaking about here? People who are not of this particular fold? Do you have any ideas about that? Well, who made up the particular fold Jesus is talking about initially? People who we would call Jewish people. They were descendants of Abraham. Jesus Himself was a Jew. All the apostles were Jews. And He came for that part of the flock for sure to the house of Israel. But He did not stop there. If we look carefully at the book of Isaiah particularly, which has several prophecies regarding the Messiah. The Messiah is spoken of on more than one occasion as being one who will be a light to the Gentiles. He'll bring the gospel to people who are not descendants of Abraham physically. Aren't you glad that's our Savior, Jesus? Man, we'd be in a heap of hurt, wouldn't we? If that were not the case. And think about Jesus when He says in this verse, those sheep may, will rather, hear my voice. Do you know what that means, that we hear His voice? Over in chapter 7 of the Gospel of John, we've already looked at this before, 16 says, Jesus therefore answered them and said, My teaching is not mine, but His who sent me. So Jesus, in His submission to the Father, listened to the Father, heard what the Father had to say, then He spoke to us what the Father said. So when we hear the voice of Jesus, whose voice are we hearing? We're hearing the God-man Jesus' voice, but we're also hearing the Father's voice. And what Jesus has in mind here is that the other sheep who are not descendants of Abraham, those sheep, are going to come into the sheepfold and be part of a larger group that's made up of both Jewish and Gentile people. That's the church of Jesus Christ. In the book of Ephesians chapter 2, it's amazing what Paul writes. He says the two, talking about believers in Jesus who are descendants of Abraham and non-Jewish people who are believers in Jesus Christ, they will become, and he says, one man. What was he talking about? The church, among other things, is described as the body of Christ. Do you know that we who are part of the church, we who are sheep of Christ, that we form an expression as a church body as the body of Christ. We're a small sample size of a larger number of people here in El Paso who make up the body of Christ in El Paso. That's good news for us. And it should be good news for other people. Because wherever Jesus went, He touched people's lives and He changed them. Do you know God's mission for this church is to be representative of Him? 
to present Him to the world. When we gather together like this and we come to worship Him, every time we gather, I don't know who they might be, but I know that the Lord draws people to this place who are seeking, they're inquiring about who Jesus is. They're not sure about Him. They may have doubts about His being God. They may be doubting whether He is indeed the Savior. But they come here. And when we are here worshiping Christ, trusting Christ, what happens is, wherever two or three are gathered together in His name, there He is in the midst of them. And a miracle occurs. He speaks to us. So these are the words of Jesus concerning Himself recorded in these 21 verses. He's the door. What does that mean? He is the only way. Jesus is rather narrow-minded. He's the only way. There's no other way. He's the door. We have to enter into a relationship with God the Father. Through Him, He's the only way. He's the good shepherd. Thank Him for His shepherding us that He laid down His life for the sheep. If we were to go today to the Middle East, we would discover that shepherding in that same region where Jesus lived, particularly in the region in the south, in what then was known as Judea, it was not good for agriculture. It was only good for shepherding sheep. The place is difficult even in that. But what we would discover is there's still shepherds who look very much like a shepherd would have looked in terms of the gear that the individual has carrying a four to five foot long or tall staff or rod and probably carrying some form of sling in the event that a predator comes or a bandit comes to steal, to use that sling to throw, to ward off those who would try to hurt or steal the sheep. And what we would also discover is that there would never be a case where a shepherd finding his flock in danger from some sort of predator would pick up one of the weaker animals in the flock and throw it to the predator to save the others. That is not the way that shepherds operate even to this day. And Jesus is the good shepherd and He lays down His life for the sheep. When the sheep are out in the pasture, as we would call it, out in the area where they're being fed, and they have to look vigorously to find places for the sheep, these shepherds would. When they're out there and nightfall comes, there is no permanent sheep pen. So there's a makeshift sheep pen that would be constructed by a shepherd for his sheep, and it would be made out of stones, probably be just high enough so the sheep could not leap over the wall. And then what he would do at night, he would lie down in the entryway. There would be no door per se, but he would lie down. And in effect, he's laying down his life for his sheep. Jesus is like that for us. We have an adversary, the devil. He roams around like a roaring lion. I think that would be a predator, wouldn't you? But Jesus is greater in us, the Bible says, than he who is in the world, meaning the devil. So the good news is that Jesus doesn't just lay down his life in the initial and most important part of his laying down his life to secure our salvation, to save us from our sins, but also he's our companion. He says, I will never leave you. 
I will never forsake you. Let's go on now to look at Christ's words about His sheep. His sheep, here's the first thing He teaches us. His sheep respond to Christ's voice only. Look at verses 2 and following. But he who enters by the door is a shepherd of the sheep. To him the doorkeeper opens and the sheep hear his voice. And he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And he goes on to say, when he puts forth all his own, he goes before them and the sheep follow him because they know his voice. And a stranger they simply will not follow but will flee from him because they do not know the voice of strangers. Now pause just a moment and think about this. Jesus is making an absolute statement about us if we are His sheep. We know His voice. We will be able to distinguish His voice from all other voices which might vie for our affection and our attention. But we do not know the voice of the stranger. We will be able to make a quick assessment between that which is Jesus' voice, our great shepherd and good shepherd, the chief shepherd, and the voice of some fake shepherd trying to horn in on Jesus' flock. We will know the difference in that situation. C.T. Wilson wrote a book entitled Peasant Life in the Holy Land. And in one very interesting section of the book, he talks about having had the experience of being able to camp out with some Bedouins for shepherds in the Holy Land. And they had about eight to ten tents, each tent owned by a particular shepherd, and they formed them in a circle, not a tight circle so as to give privacy, but a circle. And all the sheep would come into the middle of that circle, and that's where they would spend the night. And he said he saw something remarkable the first morning he awoke having spent the night there. He saw that each of the shepherds would go to the outskirts of this little makeshift village and they would begin in their own unique way to call their respective flocks. And to his great astonishment, what would happen is all these sheep began to just sort of helter-skelter begin to go in different directions. And they all, without exception, made their way to their shepherd. And they understood the voice of that particular shepherd. Now, sheep take a bad rap a lot. People say sheep are dirty and they may be dirty, but sometimes sheep are described as dumb. Well, that's not a good word, is it? We're sheep. We don't want to be called dumb, right? We don't know. I mean, we, not, we have a lot to learn, of course. But sheep have some intelligences. They can figure that out. And when we hear the voice of Jesus, if we are His sheep, we will know His voice. He will speak to us by His Spirit. And what's pretty interesting, too, is that He speaks to us through what we might call His under-shepherds. That would be a pastor or pastors. It's pretty interesting. People who have a speaking gift. How God uses people. He uses His Word. And you don't have to 
be a pastor to understand the Word of God. Thank God. Aren't you glad that you are part of a holy priesthood? And the priesthood of the believer, you have the Holy Spirit just like I do, and you can read the Scripture, and if you are listening for the voice of Jesus, you can hear Christ speaking to you. He does it regularly, I'm sure, for many of you, because you're eager to hear from Him. You want to hear from Him. And you try to live in an up-to-date relationship with Him so there would be nothing in your life that would be a roadblock between you and hearing the Lord. Well, let's consider what this text teaches us about the under-shepherd of Jesus whose voice we can hear the voice of Christ through. Let's look again in some detail beginning at verse 2. He who enters by the door, who is the door? Help me. Jesus is the door. Is Notice he does not say the shepherd of the sheep. He says a shepherd. Now, I'm not straining in a gnat here to make a point in a message, but it's very important that he does not use the definite article the. It's not in the original text. He just uses a, which would mean he's talking about a shepherd with a little s. Not the good shepherd, Jesus. He's talking about a pastor. And the word pastor really is the word shepherd. A shepherd of the sheep. And that person enters through the door. Now this is what's important. When I teach the Bible, or anybody who is a person with a speaking gift teaches the Scripture, the person's focus is on the door, on the person of Jesus Christ. I am called to be a Christ-centered teacher, preacher of the Word of God. And if I'm not, I'm not being biblical. Why? Because Jesus Himself says that every part of the Bible points to Him. Well, there's more to it than this, actually. Not only will I or anybody else who is an under-shepherd through whom the voice of Christ can be heard, I will not only be Christ-centered, I will be cross-centered also. I will be a person who preaches and teaches that Jesus is indeed the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. Christ-centered and cross-centered. Let me ask you, was the Apostle Paul, arguably the greatest teacher in the history of the church, was he Christ-centered? He said, for to me to live is Christ. I'd say that's Christ-centeredness, wouldn't you? Definitely so. But Jesus was the focal point of Paul's preaching. He didn't preach himself or his team. He didn't preach his ministry. If he had had a denomination, he would not have preached his denomination. He would not have preached his church. He preached Jesus Christ. He said, we do not preach ourselves in 2 Corinthians 4 or 5. We preach Christ Jesus and ourselves as your bondservants that's way the way that a preacher, teacher, is going to do what he does when it comes to being a mouthpiece for the Lord. Now, here's one more thing I would mention about this. This person is a person, I'm talking about the under-shepherd, who becomes the mouthpiece of the Lord. This under-shepherd is not only Christ-centered and cross-centered, This person is spirit-led and spirit-filled. And by spirit-filled, let me clearly let you know what I believe about that. It means to be controlled by the Holy Spirit of God. 
filled means to be controlled by, and it's exhibited in your reflecting not just the gifts of the Spirit, but primarily the character of the Spirit known as the fruit of the Spirit. Spirit-led under-shepherds are the ones through whom the voice of Christ can be heard. We know there are examples in the Old Testament in particular and even in Jesus' ministry where people didn't get it. In fact, they were resistant to these great prophets like Jeremiah and Isaiah. And of course, Jesus, we've seen that as we travel thus far through the book of John. But overall, the sheep know the voice of Christ when it comes through that kind of spirit-led, spirit-filled person. In the book of Matthew 22:29, when Jesus is being questioned about the fate of a woman who is married to a man, her husband dies, according to the book of Leviticus, the next brother in line under that brother is to take her as his wife. If he dies, it goes down the line. And that happens seven times in this theoretical situation. That woman was hard on those men. I'm telling you, seven husbands. Imagine. Now, they were trying to trap Jesus, the Sadducees. And then this is what he says. He doesn't even really answer them too much. He says, there's no marriage in heaven. And I don't want to get off on that. But there's not. I don't know exactly what that means, but there's no marriage in heaven. But this is what Jesus said to them. He said, you know neither the Scripture nor the power of God. Do you know what happens typically in individuals' lives and in churches' lives? We're either all Scripture or all Holy Spirit. Well, that is doing violence to both Scripture and to the Holy Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit of God is the one who inspired the Scripture. There would be no Scripture were it not for the work of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is also the one who illuminates the Scripture. That is, Jesus said, I will ask the Father, He will give another helper, and when He comes to you, He will teach you all things. If I understand or you understand one thing we read in Scripture or hear taught, do you know who the teacher is? It's the Holy Spirit. And the two are inseparable according to the plan of God. So we need to understand that. When we're thinking about the voice of God, the Holy Spirit is the one who interprets it because He's the one who wrote it. He used human beings to write it. I know that. He didn't violate their personalities. They were yielded to the Spirit. But He gave us the Scripture through people. And so we have the Word of God. We see that the under-shepherd who is used by God is Christ-centered, cross-centered, Spirit-filled, Spirit-led. And then here's another thing, and I won't stay long here. He won't quit. Do you know how many times I've quit being a pastor? When I reached about 1,000, I quit keeping count. You know, I've had my letter of resignation written out so many times. I haven't done that since I've been here, so don't get any ideas, all right? (laughs) But it's easy to quit. I mean, and I'm not trying to get sympathy here. It's not easy being a pastor. Because if the devil can get to you or me if we're pastors, boy, he's won a big one. Because it hurts so many people when that happens. 
but we don't quit. Paul the Apostle wanted to quit more than once, I'm sure. But here's one time in particular we know for sure. He was at Corinth, and he was ready to pack it in. He's ready to leave. He wanted to get out of there. And God sent Jesus in a vision to him one night, and Jesus said, don't be afraid. Keep on preaching. Don't give up. Don't quit. It's always too early to quit, period, for any of us when it comes to following Christ. And do you know what happened to the Apostle Paul? He was re-energized, reinvigorated, and he stayed there for an over a year teaching the Bible and building the church up. So, the sheep respond only to Christ's voice, not to the voices of strangers. Look at verse 1. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter by the door into the fold of the sheep but climbs up some other way, he is a thief and a robber. That's a stranger. A thief and a robber. A true shepherd of Christ, a true underling, will not be one who is interested in fleecing the flock in manipulating the flock, the true under-shepherd has a deep appreciation for the owner of the flock. Who owns this church? Jesus Christ owns this church. And I would be a fool in any other pastor who thought it was his church would be a stark, raving fool to think that that church belonged to him. Now, we belong to the church. And like it or not, we are pastors of this church. And I love what D. Martin Lloyd-Jones, the great pastor of the Westminster Chapel in the World War II era of London, he said, pastors are not pet lambs. They are shepherds. We're the leaders. Pray for us. We need all the prayer we can get. We are fallible leaders. We know that. But we are in this not for the money, not for the notoriety. We're in it because God's called us into it. And we are going to stay as long as, not in this church necessarily. I want you to know that. But we're going to stay in the saddle because the gifts and calling of God are irrevocable is what Paul writes. These strangers, their message is man-centered. Look again. At verse 5, and a, stranger they, and a stranger they simply will not follow, but will flee from him because they do not know the voice of the strangers. They don't know it. They don't know the voice. Now, if you'll look at verse 8, all who came before me are thieves and robbers. He's not talking about the prophets. He's talking about these people who were man-centered and works-based and wanted notoriety, wanted to be known and loved by the people just for themselves, not because they were doing the will of God. In fact, they got pushback. Jeremiah, Isaiah, Hosea, all these great prophets. But the sheep did not hear them. And then look at verse 9 and 10. I'm the door. If anyone enters through me, he shall be saved and go in and out and find pasture. This is wonderful, isn't it? When we hear the voice of the Lord, what does the Lord do? He leads us and we go in and out. Now, what does that mean? It's not about hamburgers, by the way, in and out. Okay? It's not about that. In and out and find pasture. This is what it means. There is liberty where the sheep of Christ are led by under-shepherds 
who seek the Lord and are Christ-centered, cross-centered, spirit-led people. Freedom. In and out. No fear of death. Why? Christ died for us. We don't have to worry about dying. We are going to die physically, but spiritually, we're going to be with the Lord. To die is gain. Praise the Lord for that. But here's the other thing. The Hebrews used this figure of going in and out as a picture of intimacy. So not only are we at liberty, but we have intimacy with the Lord. Isn't that exciting? To have intimacy with the Lord? To be able to come into His presence and hear His voice? Hear Him call your name? And He calls your name. Imagine that. And he, this is what we saw earlier in the passage. If you look back at verse 3, to him the doorkeeper opens. This is talking about now, about one of these under-shepherds. You know who the doorkeeper is? I've already talked about him already. It's the Holy Spirit. John 16, 13 says, the Holy Spirit will guide you into all truth. Christ is the door. Christ is the truth. And as we go through the door, we meet Christ and the Holy Spirit will guide us into a deeper relationship with Jesus. This is what we are to understand about this whole issue of the Holy Spirit's work through people like us who are pastors. And He calls His own sheep by name. This means He calls us individually. And He leads us out. Amazing. He knows you by name. And that means He's on an intimate basis with you. Well, these strange pastors, they're pastors who are really interested in lining their pockets. They're interested in fleecing the flock, not interested in serving the Lord and serving the people. They have causes and enthusiasms that are greater than the person and work of Jesus Christ. Many pastors are afraid that they're going to bore people to death. I've bored so many people in my life when I've been doing this so long, it's unbelievable. But I'm finally getting over it. (laughs) They attempt to show other ways to gain eternal life. Last time I checked, there's only one way. Jesus is the door. No one comes to the Father except going through Jesus. Football season begins two weeks from today, maybe a little earlier, maybe a week from this Thursday, NFL. And in my day, when I was very interested in professional football, there was an adage, the road to the Super Bowl goes through Pittsburgh. I wish it had said Dallas, but it didn't, through Pittsburgh. Look, the road to heaven goes through Jesus. There are not many ways to Jesus, I mean to heaven. There's only one way. That's Jesus. And if you have a problem with that, your problem's not with me. Your problem is with Jesus. I don't think you want to take him on. In fact, he wants to be your shepherd. He wants that for you. Look at the last part of verse 9. We want to touch on it one more time. He shall be saved. That's lovely. Saved from sin. Saved from punishment for sin and eternal hell. And she'll go in and out and find pasture. Safe and secure. 
and we know Christ. How important it is that we know Christ. Well, look at verse 14 once more. I am the good shepherd and I know my own and my own knows me. Even as the Father knows me and I know the Father, I lay down my life for the sheep. Jesus and the Father have this intimacy that's indescribable. Do you know what Jesus says here? We who are His sheep have the same intimacy if we only understood it. And understand that Jesus stands at the door and knocks all the time. And He's wanting for us to open the door and let Him in and have that kind of closeness with Him that the Father, believe it or not, and He enjoy. Is it important to know Jesus? Well, absolutely. Because the Bible says this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ, whom He has sent. Verses 19 through 21, as we finish, there arose a division among the Jews because of these words, and many of them were saying, He has a demon and insane. Why do you listen to Him? Others were saying, These are not the sayings of one demon possessed. A demon cannot open the eyes of the blind. Jesus always divides people. He's not into division, but it's inevitable. He always divides people. And when people ask us, why do you listen to him? Do you know what our response should be? The same that Peter had to Jesus when Jesus says in John John chapter 6, are you going to go to somebody else just like all these other people? And Peter said very correctly, he said, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, Lord. You're the only one. So the good news for us is Jesus wants to be our shepherd. Is Jesus Christ a madman? Is he insane? Listen to his words. Do his words seem insane? Is Jesus Christ one whose works are the works of a madman? I don't think so. Is Jesus motivated from insanity? Is Jesus a demonized person? Absolutely not. I finish with this quick anecdote. It's set in Philadelphia almost a hundred years ago, maybe a little longer. There was a man named Todd Hall. He was a detective, and he himself lived on the edge of breaking the law all the time. He, he was a shady character in a way, but he was able to avoid breaking the law. He was a detective who had been in pursuit of a particular criminal for the better part of a year. And he had failed every time. Every time he thought he had the drop on him, this criminal escaped. But he had his sights on him one particular evening in Philadelphia where he was a detective. And so he was closing in on him. And he was following him in downtown Philadelphia. And it so happened that evening that D.L. Moody, the great evangelist, was preaching that evening. And that man was sly enough to get in this crowd which was going in mass in as the doors opened. The people just flooded in. He kept his eye on the man. He didn't want to make a scene because he did not know if the man would be armed. He thought he might be. So he did not want not want to aggravate him and end up having several people hurt. So he kept his eye on him as he walked in. There were thousands of people there. He got about a third of the way there, and Mr. Moody had already begun to preach the gospel. And he just stopped and listened. All of a sudden, he forgot the man he was in pursuit of, and he sat down in a chair. He listened to this man who was 
essentially illiterate who butchered the English language, but the power of God was on him. And the result was as he listened, he was transformed as he listened. And when the meeting was over, he had not gotten out of his seat. The crowd receded. The man whom he had been pursuing got away yet again. And an usher came up to him and he noticed the man was disturbed, Todd Hall. And he said, Sir, not knowing what to say, he said, Sir, what do you think of Mr. Moody? And then he said, I wish I could be a Christian. And then the usher offered to pray for him. They got down on their knees and he prayed to receive Jesus as his Lord. And he almost immediately became a preacher of the gospel and a very effective one himself. So we see here he went seeking to arrest someone and he got arrested. The voice of Christ came. He heard the voice of Christ and he gave his life to Jesus. I wonder today, have you heard the voice of Christ? If you have and you've never responded, today is the day of salvation. Would you pray? Would you just pray to the Lord? Lord, I want to be your sheep. I need you, Lord. Not just sometime. I need you all the time. So, Lord, please save me so I can go in and out and find pasture. So I can be set free and have an intimate relationship with you. Thank you, Lord. Amen.